Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, we're live, Dingleberries. All right, let me close this off to make sure nothing is going to get reverbed all the way around. But uh, how we doing, folks? How are we doing? It is, let's see, it is uh, 4.17 p.m. East Coast time on the 21st of October, 2023. And ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the UFC 294 um, post-fight show. This is our reaction show. UFC 294 is in the books, and we're going to talk about all of the results. Uh, welcome to the Morning Combat channel. Of course, my name is Luke Thomas. I may have already said that before. I don't even really know. Need you to do me a favor now that you're here, which, by the way, I very much appreciate. Going to need you to hit that subscribe button. It's free. It doesn't cost you nothing. Please go ahead and do that. And, of course, if you'd be so kind, give that video a nice thumbs up, right? Tell YouTube you enjoyed this content. I get a lot of nice messages about these post-fight shows, which I really appreciate. But don't just tell me that message. Tell YouTube that message. Yeah? All right. We have... Um, <laughs> UFC 294 was fucking insane, wasn't it? Like, that was completely crazy in every way. Good, bad, and just weird. Just, what a weird, weird night in Abu Dhabi, if I do say so myself. All right. We got a lot to get to. My name is Luke Thomas for the third time. Um, I have a tweet up right now. You can go to, or X, or whatever the hell you want to call it, uh, twitter.com. My screen name is the letter L Thomas News. L Thomas News. Uh, I have a, a thread up there. You can go and put in your question. We'll get to it at the end of the program. Yeah? All right. Let's get this party started, shall we? And we're there. By the way, I'm getting breaking news here from my producer, the intrepid Mikey Mormile, who says that Megan O'Levy just said Hamzat thinks he broke his right hand in the first round. We'll talk about the Hamzat fight, obviously, here in just a minute. But uh, uh, one last thing. Of course, there's going to be spoilers. We're going to talk about nothing but the results. Okay? Okay. So let's get to these results. UFC 294. I mean, what a night. What a night. Uh, this took place at the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates. That's a relevant data point for the Johnny Walker fight, which we'll also come back to. Which, by the way, was also completely, what's the word I'm looking for? Batshit insane. Anyway, alright. Let's start with that main event, which was crazy, but in a, in a better and, and more understandable way. Islam Makachev retains his title, defeating Alexander Volkanovsky via head kick KO. There were subsequent punches uh, at 3.06 of round number one. Yeah, folks, let's be very clear about this. Uh, there isn't a... Per I mean, maybe you could say Habib, but there, among active fighters anywhere in the world, 
there is not one of them who can beat Islam Makachev on 12 days notice. You had arguably the pound-for-pound best guy or number two at worst get a second crack at it, a second crack at it, albeit on you know 12 days notice, and he got his ass handed to him. I mean, he got wrecked, right? So uh, I don't, I, I'm not saying that other 155ers can't beat him or that they won't beat him, although I, don't, I think it's going to be a while before that happens. There ain't no one beating him on 12 days notice. You cannot handicap yourself that much against a guy that good and expect to win. I know that Volkanovski, who of course is uh, quite literally still a champion, right? Uh, might be the best to ever do it at 145. Uh, I, I realize that we all have great respect for his abilities. If he's getting washed like that inside of four, but nearly three minutes, I mean, <laughs> it's it's hopeless for the rest of them. Put some respect on Islam Makachev's name. Everyone who thought that that first fight was, you know, very close. Again, I do recognize in real time it was competitive, and I do recognize in real time scoring is difficult. The way in which we do scoring is designed to be maximally efficient, not designed to be maximally correct. And so for that reason, I understand some of the narratives. But a closer inspection, uh, I think, after the fact, pretty clearly shows you Makachev easily has three of those rounds. I think very clearly has four of them. You could give the fifth one to Volkanovski, and that's it. The It was competitive, but the idea that that was a fight you could swing in Volkanovski's direction, there's just really not strong evidence for that. There's not. I'm sorry, there's not. And again... I don't think you got the very best of Volkanovski tonight. I mean, from a physical standpoint, I know he was not at 145. He was at 155, and I know he made weight. But he looked a little, he looked a little loose uh, with his skin today a little bit. And, you know, I'm not – I hope everyone understands I'm not body shaming. That's the last thing I'm doing. But when you see pro fighters, pro athletes, they're usually have – I mean, their body fat count is usually very low, especially at the 155 and below weight class. That's not entirely true, obviously. There are some exceptions. But, you know, at the championship level, man, they don't – they're not leaving a lot of fat on there. And you could see he visibly looked a little less uh, ready to go, which is understandable, having had surgery recently and then backing that up, um, you know, going to 155 and then having a – a 12-day camp. Yeah, of course, you're not going to look your best. I mean, that's understandable. But nevertheless, he did look that way. He did not look like him, his best physical self. Now, uh, as for the fight itself, again, there's only three minutes of it. There's not much to go to. The basic story is this. You saw Makachev land some great body kicks. Obviously, a guy like Volkanovsky going back to the first fight, right? A lot of what he was doing was starting in orthodox and then taking a step and then switching to land this right hand, the right hook coming on that side, right? So he would switch and then throw. You didn't see a whole lot of that this time, only because there was really no need for him to do that, or at least we didn't have time anyway to see it. We just didn't see it. But the body kick was landing. Some of the leg kicks were landing for Makachev, which they had landed pretty well in the first fight too, not quite to this extent. He threw a head kick earlier. It didn't quite go, but eventually he gets them backed up close to the fence line, and he throws a head kick. And the way he sets it up is that you can't really tell where it's going. So what ends up happening is you can see that that Volkanovski has a hand up. Or I should say it's this side, right? Volkanovski has a hand up. So that part he got right. But the thing about it is, is he's, he doesn't know clearly where to put his defense, right? And the kick is not aiming for the jaw like a punch would. It's not even aiming for the ear line. Mak- Makachev knows he's going to have to be 
fairly precise with the placement of the kick. And so he's going to aim it for the crown. The crown is kind of where the sort of two different hairlines meet right here, right? So if you're in the Marine Corps, you don't wear a cover like a hat. You wear a cover straight onto the crown of the head right here, this part. Yeah, again, kind of where the hairline meets the, the, the forehead. He aims for the crown, and because uh, the way it looks like Makachev's throwing, you can't quite tell if you're going to have to bring it down, right, to go to the body or raise it up. The, the, the location is kind of hard to interpret based on the way the setup looks, right? That's the whole goal. The setup looks the same. The execution ends up being different in placement. And so he gets hit because he doesn't know where to go with it. It just kind of keeps it here, which is respectable, but it still leaves all this space essentially right over here on the crown of the head. And uh, he hit him there. He hit him there. So he set up this, I'm going to go to the middle, I'm going to go to the leg, I'm going to go to the middle. Go to the high a little bit, right? But keep sort of keep at with the misdirection, make the setups look the same, and then place it a little bit different at the end. Uh, and that's what he did. He went right over the top of the guard, dropped him, finished him off with a series of devastating punches, although he was pretty much done by that point. Anyway, oh, I forgot this part. Hold on, let me do this one. Here we go. There we go. Much better. Um, and so that's that. Couple of other notes from the fight itself. There was a there was a takedown attempt in the middle of the cage, which Volkanovski did a very good job to stuff, and even talked to uh, Makachev and saying ah 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 ah, which was nice. But of course, you know the very best fighters, and you saw this with Chimaev a little bit as well. They just want to make contact with you. So he gets stuffed, but he's able to then, I think, underhook his way by essentially just not quite fully picking up, but kind of lifting the weight up a little bit of Volkanovsky and then just walks him back into the fence there. Now, from there, I thought Volkanovsky did a pretty good job to defend himself. He didn't get thrown. There wasn't a throw attempt. But one thing you saw Makachev go back to in that circumstance, which is something he didn't do quite well enough in the first time, but you thought, you know, given a second opportunity, you thought that he might was that was the clinch, right? The tie clinch, um, right? There's a height differential, right? Volkanovski is very low, so you would imagine any kind of uppercuts, knees, so linear attacks up the middle, um, especially with open stance, those are going to be, or you know, your straight punches uh, off your, your depending on your foot placement, um, you know, going in those. Those are going to be very devastating under those conditions, right? Or at least they can be, statistically speaking. And um, so you saw, once they were clinched up, getting back to that for just a second, there's a height differential, right? Getting back to that. You saw them uh, kind of wrestle for position a little bit. And Volkanovski doing a good job getting the underhook, turning, getting his head underneath the head, right? Underneath the head of Islam and then pushing it up with his own forehead. And that ended up neutralizing a fair bit of what was happening there. But then you would see um, uh, uh, Makachev kind of return for position, continue to turn, sometimes just off of an overhook, but either way, then he would grab behind the head. And, you know, if you've never been put in one, one of the things that they're trying to do to you is they're trying to shove their forearm essentially into your clavicle, and then they're going to pull on the crown of your head down as they push up. So it's this thing where 
you know, they're, they could be pulling very substantially downward, but you can't always just kind of put your face forward. One, you might get hit. And two, they could actually be stopping you or, you know, making it difficult with the, the pin of the clavicle. Again, it depends on the kind of one that they're doing. But the point being is it controls your posture that way. And you saw some knees. Not all of them got through to Volkanovsky's face, but several got through to the body. Several got through upstairs. The point I'm trying to make was in the grappling context, for the little amount of information that we got from a three-minute and six-second fight, it seemed like we got a continuation of the first one. What was the big lesson from the first fight? The big lesson from the first fight, of course, was that Volkanovski's defensive grappling was much better than we thought it was, right? Or at least, you know, in that first fight, certainly, you know, relative to expectations that he was going to do much, much better. And I thought he, here he did pretty well uh, as well. He didn't get thrown. He didn't get taken down in the middle. I'll look at the stats here in just a second. He neutralized a lot of the clinch. Not completely. He obviously got a little bit, um, and more than a little bit, he got touched up um, several times in that space. But in general, you know, he wasn't the one on his back suffering, a, you know, what, like the first round between Kamaru and Jemayev. There was none of that. So I thought there was still a pretty good job in that sense. There was some good disengagement. But the other big lesson of the first fight was that Makachev had really overperformed relative to expectations in the striking. And that picked up here again as well. Makachev, to me, looked smooth on the feet. Um, I got shouts to Jack Slack. There was one punch he noticed from the first fight where, you know, a lot of the stuff that Makachev does, he'll throw linear stuff and then he'll hook later. And you can see what he does is, again, the setups all look the same, so it's hard to tell what's coming. It looks like he's going to throw a jab, and in, and when the parry comes down, he actually hooks it at the very end. He changes direction at the last minute and then comes over the top, and he popped Volkanovski with it in the first fight and in this fight. And in this fight. He was active with the kicks. As I mentioned, he was strong in the clinch, landing good strikes in the clinch. He was just, you could see that there were places where Volkanovski could thwart, stop, slow down some of the attacks but like what was the most meaningful strike that Volkanovski landed I mean did he land like a couple of leg kicks or something like he landed almost nothing he landed almost nothing in this fight you know what I mean uh, this was all essentially Islam at least in terms of the striking so with that being said let's pull up some of these numbers I gotta see this yeah yeah okay Volkanovski uh, attempted 18 total strikes Landed 11. He was only he only landed four of six significant strikes. God damn! I mean, he got run over. He got run over. Now they give they credit Volkanovski with 49 seconds of control time. A lot of that's going to be some of that jockeying for position along the fence, right? So control time would not just be in a superior position, top to bottom, but if you are pressing someone into the cage and they really can't extricate themselves, fight metric will count that as well. They give Makachev just 19 seconds of control time. They credit him with 0 of 1 takedown attempts. That's right. However, 39 of 46 significant strikes, 24 of, oh, excuse me, 39 of 46 total strikes, 24 of 29 significant strikes, and they credit him with a knockdown. I want to look at the targeting relative to the first fight. Again, you got much more data in the first fight, so it's going to be, you know, a little different. By the way, Makachev landing only 70 significant strikes in the first fight. He landed 24 just in this one. So he had five rounds. He had 70, just one. He had 25 in this one. So he was busier. Uh, let's see, how many did he throw in the first round? 14 of 20, excuse me, 18 of 25. And in this one, 39 of 46. 
Now, a lot of that are those finishing shots on the on the ground, but even then, how many of those are seven or eight? You'd still have much more. You'd still have much more. So a much busier, uh, more calculating, and uh, not busier so much from range, but busier in the at range at times, in the clinch, any kind of offensive position, he was much busier. But let's look at the targeting. So the targeting in this fight, again, we don't have as much data. Targeting. So this is where Islam was targeting. Head, body, leg, yeah? 54% to the head, 37% to the body, just 8% to the leg. So he was touching it, but not a whole lot. Volkanovsky never targeted the head once. By the way, 25 to the body and 75% to the leg. Yeah, that's just not going to be enough. Okay, that was the first fight. First fight, 54, 37, 8, right? Or this is the second fight. No, sorry, that's this one. I apologize. Tonight, 54, 37, 8 for Makachev. 54, 37, 8. For the first fight, 63, 31, 5. So the leg still doesn't mean as much, but he definitely dialed down the head attacks and went more to the body. And then let's see with the leg, how many of those to the head? Yeah. Yeah, Volkanovsky only attempted one strike to the head and he missed. Uh, one strike to the body, which he got, three of four to the leg, and that's it. In the clinch, eight of nine for Makachev, just one for Volkanovsky. There's a big difference. How many did he get in the clinch on the first fight? In the clinch on the first fight, uh, 12 of 13 over the course of five rounds. So the most he had in any round in the clinch was round two, six of seven. This time, eight of nine. Again, these are not enormous differences, but I think the little pieces added up together, targeting head less going to the body more attacking more in the clinch taking advantage of that height differential taking advantage of the strength uh from that position you know changing up the 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 targeting ultimately in terms of the head body and then or excuse me the body leg and then head as we talked about making him transfer defense and then not knowing where to put it all of those things made a huge difference and i want to say something too right like all these people who've been talking about how Makachev had an easy run to the title. Listen, you can look at his resume. Now, not all of those fights are his fault. Like, you know, guys fell out and he had to fight Bobby Green or whatever, right? Tiago Moises wasn't the most, you know, credentialed candidate uh, uh, in terms of contenders he could have fought. All of those things are true. Dude, put put some respect on Islam Makachev's name. It's time. Like, like Birdman walking in to the studio with DJ Envy and Charlemagne the God taking off his glasses and saying, put some respect on my mother motherfucking name, right? That's what, that's what, that's what, that talk that Birdman had with the Breakfast Club, that's the talk that Islam needs to have with MMA because I saw nothing but Islam slander on t- social media all week from the fan base and how happy everyone was when Volkanovsky was going to be double champion. I mean, everybody likes Volkanovsky. There's Nothing wrong, I think. You can cheer and dislike who you... All that's up to you. All that's up to you. But, like, the way in which people have presented him as some kind of fraud, as some kind of benefit of, you know, the the Nurmagomedov machine just propping him up when there was really nothing there. Get the fuck out of here. He beat Volkanovsky. I'm going to argue cleanly the first time. Finishes him off the second time. And I don't want to hear any fucking excuses I do recognize that, you know, 12 days, you didn't get the best Volkanovsky. I fully appreciate that fact. But for everyone who's like, well, then he can still do it, you can't walk that back now, right? You told me affirmatively, and everyone else in the world, affirmatively, he was going to win. He, If anyone could do it, it was him. And I, I truly believe that if anyone could do it, it'd be him. 
But you, there's not a person in the world who can beat this guy on 12 days notice. It's a pipe dream. It's, it's absurd. It's silly. Look at how good he is. Look at how good he is. Volkanovski did every, and he has a great team. They did everything possible in the first fight, and I'm sure, given the circumstances for this one, to ready themselves. And I do think they had a lot of interesting answers in the grappling department for as much as we saw. But this idea that Makachev is some guy who keeps just skating by, who's not proving his worth. I mean, God, it's fucking time to retire that. And I know what everyone says. Oh, but he, you know, he has this relationship with Ramzam Kadyrov. Guys, you don't say shit about the other dudes who do that, who you like. So I really don't give a fuck about. I mean, I, I care about that. I understand that. But when you list that as a reason to dislike Makachev, and it's not applied in several other cases, it's hard for me to take that seriously as like a genuine critique. I do admit that his run to the title was not as strenuous as it should have been, given the way it, it all played out. But look at what has happened since that time. He is clearly, clearly still getting better everywhere, in particular on the feet. He looked to be in tremendous physical condition, right? Again, for what we saw, we didn't really test his gas tank, so I can't declare that to you. I don't know that for sure. But he, he at least appeared to be in excellent physical condition. And the sharpness of his counter-striking, the sharpness, uh, the accuracy of his strikes, the shot selection, right? The, the, the ability to camouflage and disguise setups such that it makes regulating your own defense a very difficult, if not impossible, choice. If it's even fooling Volkanovsky, who else is it going to fool? Fool. It is time to recognize this dude, whether he's as good as Habib, I don't know. And do I think he's as funny and as charismatic as Habib? No, quite obviously not, right? Not many, not many guys are, and Islam is not. He is not that guy. But he is extremely good. And he's not just extremely good because he can wrestle and put submissions together and can pin and has Turks and rides and the Dagestani handcuffs and all that stuff. Those are He's got those. Look at what he's got on the feet, too. And he's, what, 32? This is like the peak of his powers. He took the last game plan, tweaked it up a little bit. Granted, he didn't get the very best his opponent had to offer, as I'm willing to admit. Uh, and then completely ran him over. Right? Remember what happened when um, Shogun fought Machida? Everyone was like, oh, Machida's leg kicks. Or, um, no, Shogun's leg kicks don't count. Like, they're not counting that. And those were, should have counted, and he didn't win. And, uh, and then he went in there in the second fight and then just stomped him out. It, it felt a little bit like that. Now, that comparison doesn't quite work because Machida won the first one and the fans were on Shogun's side as like having been wronged. And then he gets a second opportunity and kind of proves them right. If that analogy were to work more appropriately, it would have been Volkanovsky who won tonight. But I'm just sort of pointing out a competitive first fight. They do it again and one guy just, just rolls over the other one. Again, circumstances being what they are, it's, you know... It's time. It's time to put some. It's time to recognize that you have a. That's the. That's if he, you can debate who's the best pound for pound fighter, but it's not hard to make a case for Makachev. Um, and you really have to understand the evolution of his game. He rode what he had at the time he needed it, but these championship fights, these championship opportunities, these very difficult opponents have made him raise his game. And the dudes who, who he trains with and obviously the skill that he possesses and the hard work he put in results in this. Results in this, where Volkanovsky didn't have... Turns out, in the end, Volkanovsky didn't have a prayer. Yeah. 
I mean, I can't believe I'm saying that. I, I wouldn't say that probably about anybody else, but it's true in this case. It's true in this case. He 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 didn't have a prayer against against Islam tonight. You know, no 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 flukiness about it. No nothing. Right? Referee didn't get in too early. We don't have to worry about any judges in this particular fight. Right? None of that. Like he just he just smoked him, just like that. Big bank take little bank. Eighty fours and candy paint. Um, now let's, we should mention a couple of other factors here about who they're supposed to fight ultimately next. Um, well, gets a little dicey, doesn't it? So Volkanovsky says he wants to stay active. He got real, <laughs> he got real bold and had promised that, uh, in fact, um, he was going to fight this fight and then go fight Ilya Tsipuria in January. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. Right? You get head kick KO'd in the first round. Uh, let's see, it's October, November, December, January. Commission might let him. I don't know how that's going to work. I'm guessing they're not going to let him. They're going to make him take a break if you get stopped like that. I know he says he's fine, but, you know, that's a, that's a traumatic shot to your brain. And so... I'm going to guess, based on how the sport typically functions, that what you're going to end up getting is Max Holloway versus Ilya Taporia for the interim title in January instead in Canada, which would make sense given that Max has beaten everybody else but him. Who else would Taporia fight? Max is well-liked in Canada. It's a great fight, but I would be very, very surprised. Not totally shocked, but surprised if they slot Volkanovski in. When you get KO'd like that, they the commissions are typically going to ask you to take six months. Not always, but typically. Especially on a high-profile visibility fight like this, the main event of a UFC pay-per-view. So, so that is probably not going to happen now, in all likelihood, right? Um, I would suspect that they're going to go with Max Holloway. On the other end, and by the way, let me also say this. The 35-year-old stat, still in play, is it not? One more time about the 35-year-old stat, right? It's not, a, it's not a hard and fast rule. We've seen it broken already. Like, people will break it. But it's a really helpful demarcation line. It just goes to show you your time at the top is very, very, very short. It takes forever to get good. It takes forever to, to get through the opposition. You have a very short window of a few years, if you're lucky, and one of the very best in the world, to really make that count. Because once you turn 35, especially when you're taking fights like this on 12 days notice, it's just you're not going to have the same zip and pop and decision-making skill. The damage is going to add up. And now you're going to go into a fight having been previously KO'd against a guy who's got vicious KO power in Ilya Taporia. Not only do I think that fight's not going to happen in January, I will say... I think it gets a lot more intriguing for Taporia's chances. Volk at his best is better than any featherweight I've ever seen. I think most people would say that. Volk at his very best. But at 35, coming off of a head kick KO, are you still your best? But people are like, oh, yeah, 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 everyone can do that, guys. They're very talented, very courageous people. They're not superhuman. They're not... This is not the Avengers. A lot of people treat them like they're these larger-than-life figures in terms of what their biology can handle. And they can handle more than the average person. That's true. But they're human. You go into a fight against a heavy, heavy, heavy puncher and kicker in the way 
that Taporia is. Didn't see all of that during the Josh Emmett fight, but certainly you've... I mean, he looks like he cut Jai Herbert in half with a punch um, in terms of how, how he spun him and lifted him off of his feet up a weight class, no less, right? So his power carries up a weight class. You're going to fight that guy coming off a head kick KO? That one gets a lot more competitive to me. Um, you can only get your chin tapped so many times like that. And, you know, Volk's never been, like, fully, fully put out like that, I guess, until today. And even then, he was still sort of with it. But, um, you know, he's been dropped several times. This the, the accumulation of this will have an effect. So, you know, again, I, I said this to BC on uh, Friday's MK. I think there's a lot of people who were not on the Volk train when he was fighting Mendez, when he was fighting Aldo, when he was fighting Max, that got onto the train now. And it's like, no, 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 no. The train that you should have been on started then it looks to me like, I don't know if it's coming to a close, but, but the best of him is probably over, right? Probably something like that. That may be a little bit presumptuous. I don't want to declare that to be true, but I have a feeling it might be certainly at 155. The door now closes to him for the very foreseeable future and probably forever, at least in terms of title opportunities. He might be able to luck, in terms of timing his way in, in the same way that Kamaru kind of got one at a future date, so you can't affirmatively declare. But if you lose twice to the champion and you get just absolutely bludgeoned in the second one, it's going to be very, very, very difficult for you to skip the line yet again for, against other 155ers. So this was a risky one, right? We talked about the risk on this fight, and everyone being like, oh, he's playing with house money. Get the fuck out of here. No, he's not. No, no, he's not. Now he loses. The 155 days, at least in terms of getting a title shot to become champ champ, are almost certainly over. Almost certainly over. Right? Yeah, yeah, because he might be able to get the 55 belt later, but holding both at the same time, that's almost certainly done with. Right? That will affect his legacy. I'm sorry to say this. We all like Volk, but these are the risks that you run. Uh, He's going in having been put out with strikes and going in against a heavy puncher uh, after the age of 35 and heavy striker after the age of 35. Yeah, there's lots of ways where this could turn out real bad and just sort of a cascading effect. Now, again, Volk is extremely talented, historically so. So if he can go in there and put it on Taporia, that's a new lease on life. We shall see. But, you know, when people like a fighter, they just like to focus on the really positive, affirming storylines around them, which I understand. But I'm inherently negative. And I'm inherently, I'm inherently, you know, risk conscious. And I'm always like, oof. You know, people want to pretend there's no costs to trying. There absolutely are. There absolutely can be. So I, I give him shit tons of credit for trying this on 12 days notice. I mean, he was trying what I consider to be borderline impossible. Sure enough, it looked like it was. But, but the athletic courageousness, the belief in himself, salute. You got to give it to him. But Makachev. There is a there is a lack of respect out there. Not so much for Volkanovski and his team, but that lack of respect out there that permeates everything, that treats him like an afterthought, that makes him be like some lesser version of Habib or whatever. Habib couldn't strike like that. I never saw him strike like that. Maybe he didn't need to, but he didn't. He didn't. He's his own guy. I'm not saying he's better. I'm saying he's his own guy. And right now, that guy is an absolute handful for anybody at 155. So let's talk about what might be next for Makachev. The Charles Oliveira fight is still there. I think you can run that one back. I don't know after a night like tonight, one way or the... 
not many people are going to have watched UFC 294 and then thought to themselves, uh, oh, wow, you know? Charles is going to have a great shot against this version of Islam. I mean, you might still believe in Charles because he is so good, but it's not like Islam looked like shit tonight. He looked awesome. He looked awesome tonight, right? His his shot selection, his camouflage, his location, his accuracy, all of that was like very, very good, right? And they, you heard what Javier Mendez said too. Like they hated that there was this narrative out there that, you know, that Volkanovsky had unfinished business with him. They always thought it was the other way around. No, 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 no. We have unfinished business with you. And in the end, it looks like, you know, Javier and and the team over at AK and or whatever, the team that uh, Makachev has assembled were correct. But it could be Charles. Certainly you could do that. I don't think anyone would object. The Justin Gaethje one has picked up some steam. But I got to say, does anyone really kind of... I mean, listen, Justin Gaethje just head kick KO Dustin Poirier like... You know, he's the BMF champ. He is worthy of respect. He is worthy of being taken seriously. But just given the way in which he kind of crumbled against Oliveira and then also kind of fell apart the way he did against Habib, it just feels like Islam would be able to follow either of those paths. I don't know that you know, slugging it out with, uh, with Gaethje at length is the best idea, but like, do I ultimately think that Islam could get him down and submit him? I do. Of course, that's, you know... Whether or not you have confidence in these ideas in no way says you should or shouldn't make them. But I suspect I'm not alone in that. I suspect a lot of people would look at this and be like, yeah, you can probably get it. So I don't know what the UFC will do. I don't know if they're unhappy with Charles about this fight falling through. I don't know. Because this whole night was weird. You got a one-sided main event. You got a good but kind of uh, not so good co-main you had a disaster feature fight. Some of the other ones that opened the card were pretty good. The the preliminary card was just a complete clusterfuck. As we used to say, goat rope. I mean, a, I mean, a total goat rope. Are they bitter at Oliveira, hypothetically, for not fulfilling this card and they had to go to a guy on 12 days who clearly wasn't ready? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do about that. I think Charles, might they might run that back, but... The Gaethje one is a fresh matchup for Ola, excuse me, for um, Makachev. So they could go in that direction too. It's really hard to say. The, the, the sort of dark horse one, that's much more interesting to me. Before it wasn't, now it is. Because I, I don't think there actually is a 155er who can beat Islam. That's not a reason to not defend a title. But I don't personally believe that there is one. I think he is not just better than the rest of the pack. I think he's better by a considerable distance. I didn't love the idea before, but now I'm thinking maybe. Uh, getting the winner of Colby versus Leon. I got to tell you, I don't hate the idea. I hated it before. I don't hate it now. Uh, wouldn't be my first choice. Don't know that I really want to tie things up that way. But if they went there, I don't think that'd be the craziest or most insane thing that they've ever done. So, man... It's back to the drawing board for Volkanovsky and his team. About that, there's simply no doubt. Um, not the worst loss, but a pretty bad scenario for a 35-year-old fighter, even though he's still champion at 145, of course. you know, Best to ever do it, probably, at 145. But um, that KO loss, setting back that one in January, probably going to have to unify with an interim champion, whoever that ends up being, either Max or Ilya. Now, if Max wins again, 
against Ilya, and there's a fourth fight between Max and Volk. I don't even know what that would mean. I've never even thought about that, so God only knows if we get to a place like that. But, um, yeah, fantastic night for Islam Makachev. Fantastic night. It left not an ounce of doubt about who's who. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Not a lot of fat on that performance, huh? Pretty goddamn good. All right, let's talk about your co-main event. In your co-main, Hamzat Shemaev defeats Kamaru Usman via majority decision. There was one twenty-eight twenty-eight, which is a draw, and then two twenty-nine twenty-sevens. Okay. This was a tale of two fights, basically. There was the Hamzat Shemaya from round one, who, in my mind, won that round 10-8. I don't think that's a 10-9 round. I really don't think you can do that. And then there's rounds two and three, which I'm not sure if Hamzat really won either of those rounds. Now, I do think he did win the third, but it's really close. And so that's where that draw comes from. The draw comes from 10-8 first round for Hamzat. And then you give the subsequent two rounds to Usman. This was way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. Let's talk about the first round. One-way traffic, 10-8 round, as I mentioned. Hamzat able to capture the back off of a takedown. Not even a great setup. He, he shot from way outside, but he did it where his timing on it was good. And he had... A, he had Kamaru close to the fence line, so he's able to use that as a sandwiching mechanism. I uh, was able to get the leg ride, and then eventually to the back, and then eventually flattened him out on his belly. At times there was he at, at times he stood, even and he got the body lock and he tried to shake him off. But even then, that even though he slammed Chemaev from his back, there wasn't enough to get him off. He maintained top pressure, had good ground and pound, threatening with submissions, clear ten eight. For Hamzat Shemaev. I mean, he worked Kamaru over. If fights were one round, you'd be like, well, that guy is going to be the champion. And then the second round came out, and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a horrible round. It was a little on the boring side. And Kamaru kind of got back in it a little bit. Um, let's look at the numbers here for just a second if we can. So in the second round, so round one, in terms of significant strikes, Kamaru landed three. Three. Hamzat landed 16. He got two takedowns on seven attempts. He's credited with at least one sub attempt and four minutes and 35 seconds of riding time or control time. Riding time is different. Riding time comes from collegiate wrestling. Every one minute of riding time when a match is over counts as uh, a point. But okay, neither here nor there. So then in the second round, Hamzat goes from landing 16 significant strikes to just 9. Kamaru landing 11. Hamzat getting one of one takedown with 41 seconds. That was closer to, I believe, the end of the frame. But it was pretty close, and I thought that on the feet, uh, that, that uh, Usman did slightly better work. Then round 3, Kamaru landing 22 to 13 of those strikes and having like a moment where he was pushing... Hamzat back, kind of just biting down on the mouthpiece with, with mouthpiece with jabs and hooks. Hamzat is credited with one takedown, which he had two minutes of riding time. He gets no credit for a sub attempt. 
and he didn't do much ground and pound. And that was why I was like, you know me, I'm not, we'll talk about this later. I'm not one of these guys who thinks that grappling doesn't matter unless you just score shit tons of damage. But even then, there's like a question of like who really did more to the other overall uh, in a bigger way. And I, I, I didn't know. I, I scored it for Chimaev in real time, but I can certainly see a case for Kamaru not winning the fight but certainly getting a draw, and of course, one of the judges did agree. Now, here's where it gets interesting. On the one hand, the first round was an insanely inspiring performance from Chemayev. He was disciplined, he was aggressive, but he wasn't going berserk like he was in the Gilbert Burns fight where he was just overcommitting to any fucking thing that mattered. It was much more strategic and calculated even if the pace was urgent, right? And it wasn't like he fought like shit in the second round, but it's just like everything that made the first round what it was went away. He wasn't really able to get the takedowns. At least he didn't shoot for one very much till the last minute of the second round. In the third round, he got it, but there wasn't heavy ground and pound, even though he was able to pin. And on the feet, it was kind of back and forth. And maybe you could argue over the course of two rounds and the total striking that happened... Maybe you could argue Usman did a little bit better. He was doing well with Teeps and some calf kicks. Chimaev doing well with some body kicks that were that was getting through. He had a jab on occasion that was nice. Uh, these were sort of the main things that they were going to. But it wasn't like Chimaev really put it on him. In fact, like the pace went from like urgent crazy to medium. Third round, medium, except until the very end, and then or, or, or those moments where they were kind of firing back at each other. So I don't know if it was a cardio issue. I don't know. Again, we go back to Megan O'Levy thinks Chimaev may have broken his hand. That could be a big explainer as well. You know, if he's losing the power on his right hand, and of course he is, you know, stand, I believe he's right-handed, right? Chimaev, is, is he orthodox or is he southpaw? He is orthodox, yeah. He switches stance, I know, but anyway. Man, my phone just won't stop. Just won't stop. Good Lord. Let's see here. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Oh, nice. Okay, great. Um, so, I'll just say this. I know he's supposed to get a title shot from this. I think a lot of us thought Kamaru was going to get run over. I'll be honest. I picked Makachev to win. I did bad on the rest of my picks. Uh, I picked Makachev to win, and I picked Chemayev to win. Um, and I think the rest of OK Bet, I, I fucking stunk up the joint. But... Uh, BC did too, by the way. BC completely fucked it up. So we both had shitty records. But, okay, neither here nor there. Uh, I believe, personally, even though Kamaru, I think, overperformed, um, you know, most of us thought that Shemaev was going to come out of this just running over Kamaru, get the title shot against Sean, and even be favored. I'm not so sure if he'd be favored against Sean. I'm not so sure right now. And I also have to say this, too. Because I was late to the Drickus Duplessis party. Well, I was very wrong about that, uh, which you all know. But the Drickus Duplessis thing, it's like, dude, of anybody who is even capable of getting a title shot, like you've got Cannoneer kind of floating out there. Um, I guess Costa's kind of floating out there, but not really. But now you've got Shemaev, and you've got Drickus Duplessis. Dude, Drickus Duplessis fought and stopped Robert Whitaker. Man, I got to tell you, of anybody who's kind of in the orbit for a title shot, you wouldn't pick it off of one win. But if you're looking at anybody who's up for a title shot, and now you're asking, oops, let me switch. Sorry about this. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Switch. And anybody, you know, who, anybody who's up potentially for a title shot, anyone in that orbit, what is their best win? The best win that any of them have is Drickus Duplessis' win over Robert Whitaker. That's the most meaningful. That's the most uh, impactful. That's the most valuable. That's the most telling. Like, that's the best win in terms of a quality opponent, former champion, like knows the game, and you stopped that guy, I think inside of what, two rounds? Something like that? And you stopped him? It should be him. It should be him. This to me was not the kind of performance that really told me like, oh, Chimaev's going to be a destroyer at 185. I think he could be. He certainly looked like one in the first round. But, you know, again, this was Kamar Usman off the couch, and he's also basically a welterweight. I got to tell you, I don't really know how much I like this idea of Chimaev getting a title shot or whether we think he's still the bruising marauder at 185. He looked like it in the first round and then not at all after. He went from all the way yes to not really overnight. Uh, it just with the, with the one minute between round one and round two, it just completely turned. And again, I want to be clear. It wasn't like he looked bad in, in rounds two or three. But he didn't look world beater. He did not look world beater. He looked fine. He looked fine, basically. Um, not great. And, you know, interestingly, I think this boosts Kamaru Usman's stock a little bit at 185. I don't know that it boosts it in, like, a tremendous way. I don't, I'm not saying everyone's like, oh, we got to see Kamaru fight for the title soon. I don't think it's quite like that. But I do think that he did himself certainly a favor with the company. And he performed well. Like he and Gilbert both lost to Hamza, but you could make a case for either of them having won. Like he's kind of the two good guys he really fought, like really high, high level title contender, title winning guys he fought. You know, granted, these are good fighters, but he eked it out. He eked it out both times. He didn't, he didn't, he's like, dude, Hamza Chimaev is like the best first round fighter in like UFC history. In round one, he's fucking terrifying terrifying and I'm not saying he's like a chump in round two or a chump in round three that's not but he's but that round one guy that's that that guy is the grim reaper everyone that comes after that is a little bit more manageable you know um so I, I guess the UFC is going to give him a title shot just based on the promise and how it all goes I, I I you know I'm certain that Hamzat will have his way in the grappling. I don't think that's going to be crazy. I think uh, even not, you know Abus Magomedov had some success, albeit relatively brief. 
against Sean Strickland, so you would imagine Hamzat's going to be able to do that. But, dude, Sean can go the distance. No problem. And if this is a question of, like, what he's going to have to deal with striking, that's like, I don't know. <laughs> I was expecting to come out of this being like, oh, Hamzat's just going to lawnmower the, the uh, division. No. Mm-mm. Didn't look like that. Not, not in any kind of sustained way. Um, but if you broke his right hand, and that really explains it, and that's really behind why rounds two and round three looked the way they did, and that's a little bit different. That would be that would be genuinely a mitigating circumstance if that really is the explainer. But I guess we'll have to see. Um, when he's on, he's on, right? When he's cooking, he's cooking with grease. But then there's just times where it's like, what happened to the rest of that? You know, I'm trying to see if there's anything else in the. Uh, in the scoring, Derek clearly 29-27. David Lethaby had the 28s. And then another donk whose name I cannot remember had it the other way. Um, let's keep it going here down the list. Man, I don't even know what to fucking say about this. Let me take this off. Right? How about this one? How about this one? Why don't you get up there and subscribe? Huh? Get up there and subscribe. I'm out here slaving at 5 in the afternoon. <laughs> All right. Magomed Ankalaev defeats Johnny Walker at 313 of round number one. No, sorry, what am I saying? Wrong. Fake news. Magomed Ankalaev versus Johnny Walker ends in a no contest at 313 of round number one. Man, what a fucking comedy of errors. There were fouls all over this card. We're going to do a... um, a extra credit where I'm going to talk about the whole preliminary card because that was just a clusterfuck times a thousand. But some of that spilled over into this one. So you had the doctor who had a previous issue. What fight was that? That was the fight with uh, Javid Basharat and uh, Victor Henry. Poor Victor Henry getting absolutely just screwed. But okay. So Ankalaev looks like he hits Walker with a body shot, maybe even a liver shot. I have to go back and I'd watch. And you see Walker go, like, like like visibly hunch. And so here comes Ankalaev, and then Walker tries to greet him with a vertical knee. Uh, it partially lands. I don't think it landed very cleanly. And then, um, you know, a grappling sequence ensues. Ultimately, you have Walker kind of up against the fence on his knee, and he eats a very clear, clearly illegal knee according to the unified rules. Now, what ends up happening is they bring in the ringside physician after calling time and all the other appropriate steps. Uh, The ref was Dave Movahedi. And what ends up happening is the doctor comes in to check on him. The doctor asks him a series of questions, one of which was, do you know what country you're in right now? Now, I saw people saying, uh, you know, how many people can name where Abu Dhabi is? Well, guys... I have to tell you, if you get on a plane to go to Abu Dhabi and you have to get your passport stamped and you have to go through customs and explain why you're there to passport control, if in fact, I don't know if you need a visa to go to Abu Dhabi as a Brazilian or whatever, the nationality that would get him through the door on his passport, I don't even know. But even if you don't even need a visa and you can just travel there, you know, asking someone as a general rule... What country are you in right now? That's not a geography quiz. 
right? I'm not asking you to name the third biggest city in Tajikistan or what the capital of Mongolia is. The answer is uh, Ulaanbaatar, but uh, neither here nor there. I, this is not. This is not. You know, name for me the three longest rivers, um, not including the Amazon, the Mekong, and you know, I don't know, the Mississippi or something, right? Where this is like a final Jeopardy quiz. Asking a fucking guy what country you're in is not some grand imposition, okay? Especially when you have to get documentation to go through. Like, you you fly to a fucking place and you don't even know what country you're in? Like, you know. Unless you've been hit in the head when you're in need in a mixed martial arts fight, if you can't answer that... I mean, you're just you're just fucking you're a fucking idiot, right? Like that's that's the only explanation for why you couldn't answer that question, unless you've been kneed in the head, which he was. Now there is a again in this particular case a mitigating circumstance, which I saw people bring up, which was yes, Johnny Walker does speak English at what I would consider to be a proficient, not quite fluent level, but he's pretty good with it. He's got he's got he's got good English, is what I would say. But if you're going to have to answer questions from a medical professional. And the answer to those questions hinges on whether or not a fight continues. I saw people saying he should have been given someone who could ask him questions in Portuguese. Yes, I agree with that. I do think that is fair. I don't think it's fair to be like, oh, of course he doesn't know where Abu Dhabi is. Motherfucker, he's in it. He had to take a plane to get there. How do you not know, unless you've been hit in the head, but like just the average person, how do you not know what fucking country you're in? That's a silly ass argument. But, that you know, having to field all of this after you've been hit in the head and in, not in your first language, I am very sympathetic to that. Very sympathetic to that. They should have gotten someone who spoke Portuguese up there. They should be able to ask you those questions in whatever your native language is. You know, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But either uh, Walker didn't give an answer to the questions or he gave the wrong answer to those questions because then there was other questions that were asked. Some of them were hard to hear. The referee turns to the doctor. The doctor says he can't continue. And the ref's like, are you sure? And he says he can't continue. And then he waves it. Now, this doctor, I don't know if he did the right thing in this particular case or not. Because if you're asking a guy questions and there's no translator provided and they're just giving you a glazed over look with no responses, I honestly don't know what a medical professional is supposed to do in this case. However, however, right, this is the same doctor who told Victor Henry after he got kicked in the balls so badly that A, he couldn't continue, B, he was vomiting in the back, and then three, had to go get what apparently the, the broadcast described as a testicular ultrasound. You know, I don't know if how much I trust his judgment, to be honest with you. And I don't know who flew him in. I don't know if I'd seen him before or not. Certainly none of us understand medical science in the way that he might. But he might not understand being a ringside physician in the way that high-level athletes sort of expect and demand of it. So the fight got called off. They just waved it. And then Walker comes out and he's pushing the referee. The security comes in. Dana White had to get in there and, you know, bring some order, get these guys out of the octagon. It was a shit show. It just seemed to me, man, listen, you had, you had, let's see, let's go through it here very quickly. You had Victoria Dudakova. You had Mohamed Naimov. 
and you had Mike Breeden, three fighters in a row, later admit after their fights were over and they were talking to the media, they all admitted that they had staph infection. So you had three guys who had staph infection. You had, or three fighters, two, two guys, one girl. Then you had the whole situation with Kamaru's knees. You've got whatever the fuck this ringside physician is going on. Dude, again, I'm going to say it on the prelim card. You know, I could point to a million of these, but Abu Azaitar clearly and blatantly grabbing the hair of, I don't want to say his name wrong, Cedricus Dumas is how I think they said it. So I, I can't remember. But he fully grabs Dumas' hair and just gets a warning for it. You know, and there were a series of instances of a bunch of fouls where people got warned and a point wasn't taken. This happened over and over and over and over again. Not to say, uh, also to say on the prelim card, uh, in the case of Shara, uh, Shara Bullet, Magomedov defeating Bruno Silva, getting a 30-27, and everyone's like, oh, he did more damage in the third round. Yeah, he didn't though, right? He didn't. I mean, there were some standing two ground shots that Bruno Silva landed, so some of the judging was a little bit weird. The folks in charge of the commission tonight, and listen, there's good folks there, referee Jason Herzog certainly being one of them, but they got overwhelmed tonight. They got overwhelmed tonight. That ringside physician, I don't know. Again, I want to be very clear on this fight between Ankalaev and Walker. I don't know if he did the right thing, but there certainly are a lot of unanswered questions about what the proper protocol should be in a situation like this. And then everything else aforementioned that we had to go through with this doctor doing that to Victor Henry, the weird judging at times, the refing not in any way doing anything about guys fouling. It was, a, it was not a strong night for commission representation this evening. But there is one more point that must be made in a fight like this, and it's something that I say all the time, and I really hope people are listening now when you see this. Folks were asking about certain scenarios where guys are trying to go to a knees to the head of a downed opponent, and the ref is kind of having difficulty explaining when someone is down versus not in real time to the combatants. Guys, the unified rules are not as good as one's rules. You can be a, whatever MMA fan you want. You can like UFC more. Fine. I'm not arguing any of that. But if you're just looking at rule sets, the, the, the rule about knees to the head of a downed opponent, whether it's a hand, two hands, knees, three points of contact, whatever, it fucking sucks. It sucks. It's not good. It's not clarifying. It's not helpful. And I genuinely don't understand why people can't understand this i i'm not one of these guys who just wants to make damage easier in order to make the rules smoother and easier to interpret it does have that benefit but you can get to some bad places if you're just trying to do that if you're just trying to make the rules make the fight go smoother because anything's allowed you can get to some dark places but this to me is not one of those cases this to me is clearly having your knees down as defined by, or having a downed opponent as defined by the unified rules and what you're allowed to do in that circumstance, it just creates nonsense. It doesn't make for a better fight. It doesn't make for, I think, healthier outcomes on balance. It's just silly. There has to be a better way to do it. And the good news is we know there's a better way to do it. One's rule set is better. It's just, it's just matter-of-factly better. Not just for this reason, but um, among others, this one in particular would be a big one. There should be much more allowance of knees to the head of a downed opponent. There are circumstances where you don't want to allow it, but there are so many that we find ourselves in that are, I think, 
relatively easy to legislate that we should get ourselves to. So now we, I said this before, John Jones hasn't fought since February of 2020. We still don't have a number one contender in this fight. We don't even have this division. We don't even have a fucking champion in this division. Of course we did. And they got injured and another one got it and then got injured. I understand, but there's still no one who has brought order to 205 since John Jones left the division. It's gone up. It's gone down. And there's nothing wrong with parody per se, but no one has a grip on that division quite like he did when he had it. All right. Not much to say about this, but it was rad. Ikram Alaskarov just fucking runs over Warley Alves at 207 with a TKO knee. Drops him with a jab. Uh, he gets up. There's a, I think, a, I forget there's action that pushes Alves to the fence. He does a switch knee. Just crushes him and finishes him off. Ikram Alaskarov, how old is this, this guy? Alaskarov is 30. Perfect timing. Boy, all of a sudden, there's some movement at 185, right? Here comes Drickus Duplessis. Sean Strickland is now your champion. I don't know how inspiring Hamzat was tonight. Again, for all the things that could have gone wrong with his hand, whatever. But he's certainly up there as well. Bo Nichols kind of still in the back of the pack, but, you know, probably not too far away. And now here's Ikram Alaskarov. Man, all of a sudden, there's a massive turnover happening at 185. Probably good for the division to happen that way. You can't be giving this guys who this dude who guys who are not ranked can't can't be doing that. And I know that they tried. I know that they tried. They tried with Paulo Costa. It fell through. Then they give him Nasordin Imavov. That fell through. And so Varley Alves, Warley Alves, was a you know he was a late replacement as well. Three late replacements on this main card. Kind of crazy. But you you can't be giving this guy <laughs> anybody who's not ranked. It's not fair to those dudes. Right, he should be fighting guys that are ranked. Like, I respect Alves for getting in there, I really do, but uh, completely overmatched, completely overmatched. So, I don't have much to say about this because the guy only fought for two minutes and seven seconds. But he desperately needs somebody who is a top fifteen candidate because, or top fifteen uh, ranked contender, because he's he's going to be fighting for a title eventually. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to win. You know, that part remains a little bit unclear, but like, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be in number one contender fights. Like, that's the kind of talent he has. So, we need to put him in fights that are more, he's more appropriately suited for. Uh, and then you have Saeed Nurmagomedov defeating uh, Muin Gafarov, who basically just overcommitted into, they called it a guillotine choke. Just I want to remind folks, if you are sinking the arm underneath and you have a bicep grip on the uh on the guillotine they call that a ninja choke but years ago when it was taught to your boy who's now old and gray they called it a power guillotine if i call it a power guillotine i can it's it's okay for me to do that i want you guys to know that it's totally okay but if you want to call it a ninja choke that's cool too anyway ninja choke power guillotine whatever hits them with the bicep grip which is just an extremely powerful grip and uh finishes them off and no problem so the 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 night started out well on the main card with Nurmagomedov and Alaskarov getting quick wins, and then it just kind of went in weird directions after it and before it. Um, obviously, we'll talk about this more on on what you call it on uh, extra credit. But Mohammed Mukayev had a great night. Uh, Trevor Peak, that was a terrible fight. Javid Basharat, Victor Henry. I mean, oh my God, what the fuck was that? Uh, we talked about the Dumas and Azaitar fight. Mike Breeden and Anshul Jubilee. What happened to Jubilee? I don't know. I don't know, just a guy started barking at him and he froze. 
Uh, Mohamed Naimov defeating Nathaniel Wood. Victoria Dudakova defeating Jin Frey for she had missed weight and so had Mike Breeden and then Shara Magomedov. He looked pretty good for the most part uh, against Bruno Silva. Um, all right, let's take a look at your questions. Let's see what we got there and uh, let's see if we can answer them because this has been just absolute craziness the whole way through. By the way, one more time. I mean, why, why aren't you subscribing? You should just be subscribing. You know what I'm saying? All right. While I pull up these answers, let's see. Or these questions. Um, okay, good question. How do you rate the AKA Nurmagomedov team historically? Pretty fucking good. Not only do they win consistently at the highest level, but their fighters have influenced the overall style of MMA, grappling with fence wrestling, mat returns, and ground and pound. Incredibly successful. Yeah, dude. Absolutely great point. Um, again, this is more of a mix of two different teams in the ways he indicated. It's a little bit of AKA. It's a little bit of Nurmagomedov team. But together, they like, this is how it works, right? There's always a group or a, a person or some kind of coaching team or whatever that have advanced skills relative to the pack. They're able to use that, and then they teach the rest of the world how to fight that way. They, over time, lose that advantage, but then someone else does some other kind of advantage, and then the sort of situation repeats itself. They have sick athletes, they have ridiculous training, they have ridiculous motivation, they have excellent coaching, they have world-class prep, and they have a vision of the game that's just ahead of what most people in the rest of the sport have to offer, you know, very clearly. All right. You pose the question, if Volk has to heal and Featherweight, ma uh, Featherweight makes an interim of Holloway and Taporia and the torch has passed, fine. But if Max wins, you just dangled it out there. Would Volk even be like, hell no, and vacate and go 155? I don't know, but if you're if you're Max, you probably want a fourth fight. If you're Volk, do you want a fourth fight with Max? I doubt it. Uh, let's see. Was the ending of Ankalaev Walker? We talked about that. Talk, uh, Abu Dhabi Doctors, we talked about that. I think people are going to be too depressed for this one, Luke. Okay, why is everyone so depressed? You got to witness a good fighter. Oh, he... He's not as funny as the last one. All right. Oh, he takes money from Kadyrov, like the last one, which people don't don't, don't care about. You know, when Justin Gaethje t t does it, or Henry Cejudo, or Kamaru Usman, like no one brought it up with Kamaru Usman. He did the same thing. <laughs> you know, or with his kid anyway. Like, you know, we're just gonna bring it up for Islam. You're gonna bring it up. You got to bring it up for everybody, and I think you should. But it, nobody seems to do that, so I don't quite get it. The staff infections. I mean, this card was held together with like paper clips and gonorrhea. <laughs> I mean, like three people fighting with staff. That's a bad idea to fight with staff. You know, you, other people could get it. Uh, you could worsen it. Like it's not the best idea, but they did. They did. Um, BC's vibes, excuse me, BC, BC's vibe picks are legendary. Charlo, Volk, I need him to pick John. Awful <laughs> vibes. Yeah. I mean, again, in the overall picture of OK Bed, BC and I are just absolutely the sorriest fuckers on earth. But on, like, you know, in the big main events, he had Charlo, who just shat the bed against Canelo. And then he had, you know, again, everyone loved the romance of Volk's story. And I did too, you know? Like, hey, this guy's going to come off the couch and fight and settle the score. And, like, it sounded, it's, yeah, it sounded great. 
It sounded great, but that's just not the case. Do you think Bo Nickel would ragdoll Hamzat? I don't know, but if I had any curiosity around that way before, it went into overdrive now. I'd like, I really want to see what's next for Bo Nickel. Because, you know, you know, on a pure wrestling, yeah, but okay, MMA wrestling is different, and you know, obviously MMA in general is different. There's lots of ways where Bo Nickel could get, could get tripped up. Uh, but now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Again, with the Hamza thing in his hand, we'll have to see. Someone says, I'm a, Paul says, I'm a big Taporia and Volk fan from Montreal. If it's still going to be the main event, I may go to the Toronto show. However, after tonight, I'm not sure how good of an idea it would be for Volk to turn around so quickly. Yeah, dude, it would be a bad idea. It would be a bad idea. The commission probably won't allow it anyway. How did Usman's knees look to you? They looked, they looked, they looked okay. They didn't look great. He didn't have a ton of spring. He threatened those reaching singles. Did you notice that? He would threaten, like where he put he puts like two hands like this. He threatened the reaching singles, but he never went for him. So I, I think his knees probably are toast, but not like injured in that way where he can't move or something. Like he can still move around. He just can't he can't explode off of them, you know. What's your view on Usman regretting turning down five rounds? Yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I would have bet on three as well, you know. How did how did not Walker get that win? One hundred percent intentional knee. Um, it's an intentional knee. It's not an intentional foul. That's the difference, right? According to the referee. Yeah, he the, the you know the knee was intended to land. Was that a foul intended in uh, motivation? How many pay-per-view buys do you think this did? Probably pretty well. There's a big crowd online tonight. I think there's a big crowd. Uh, was this as awful a card as I currently believe it was? I'm giving it a 3 out of 10, Lee in Taiwan. No. Um, okay, prelim card, 3 out of 10. Main card, I give it a 6 or 7. 6 or 7. 6 maybe is better. Uh, let's see. As soon as I saw their stances and Islam throw that body kick, I got flashbacks to the Shevchenko versus I. That's a little bit different because I was bearing down on Shevchenko, which is not the same thing, but yes. Do you think the Chemayev-Usman fight should have been a five-rounder? It's hard to ask someone on 12 days notice to fight five rounds. In retrospect, yes, but it's hard to ask that in real time. All right, let me see if there's anything else that I may have forgotten to check. I think that's about it for me. So stay tuned, folks, because we're going to get a very good episode of, a really good episode of Extra Credit. Um, there might be some stuff on my personal channel as well, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. There's a plug. Go ahead and subscribe if you can. And uh, yeah, what a weird, bizarre, kind of strange, pretty good evening, but strange and bizarre, I think, is a great way to put it. And um, yeah, all right, we're done. Thank you guys so much for watching. Stay tuned to Morning Combat. Until next time. Uh, get some sleep. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go sniff the flowers. Go get bit by mosquitoes. Do something interesting outdoors. Peace, y'all. I'm out of here. Bye. Bump, bada, bump, 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 bump.